Ephesians 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to, his, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and the incomparably greater power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So let's pray for, for Bill and for ourselves as we come to explore what this means. Father, we thank you for this time that we can uh, be together and hear your word. We thank you for Bill and for, um, for what you have shown him, for what you've inspired him with as he's been preparing for this morning. We pray, God, as he speaks to us, that you would open our ears to hear your words to us. That you would open our hearts to receive what it is you want us to get hold of. And that you would uh, change us through your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I don't know who uh, said this, but uh, it's been said that, uh, and it is true, that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and 
What emerged was the church. Now, how do you respond to that sentence? Because it could sound like a bitter disappointment. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and what emerged was, oh dear, the church. But also, it's a pointer to something of the cosmic significance of the church. I dislike being called low church. Because I think, in in what sense is my appreciation of, of who we are as church low? The biblical view of the church is incredibly high. Incredibly high. We're not just a gathering of people who've come, stumbled upon some kind of vaguely shared understanding of the world so that we gather together from time to time and say, let's encourage ourselves. God's, God's dealings with the church are much bigger than that. And as ever with these, I mean, this, this five sermon series that we're doing, um, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, the idea of, you know, you know telling, uh, telling David as I did, you know, uh, to, uh, you know, can you preach on Israel uh, for us, please? And we've got a church meeting afterwards, so don't go on, you know. Um, and, and Jesus and the church, these are, we are just touching the, the tips of icebergs. And I've chosen Ephesians 1 as the way of tipping the, touching the tip of of the iceberg of the church. The first thing to say is that the church is first and foremost a, a recipient of God's grace. Before anything else that we might want to say about the church, recognize that we are those upon whom God pours blessing and grace. In Ephesians chapter 1, we've got... Uh, Several verses. I'm just going to just read to you some of the words which we find there. In in verse 3, we find that we are blessed. In verse 4, we find that we are chosen. In verse 5, we find that we are adopted into God's family. In verse 7, we find that we are redeemed, we're brought back from the powers of darkness and given freedom. And we don't even have to move out of verse 7 to discover also that we are forgiven. Blessed, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. And then a particular turn of phrase that that I love. The end of verse 7 and beginning of verse 8. 
talking about the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. There's no careful accountant's calculation about exactly how much grace we need. It's poured into us, upon us. A rather, maybe a rather silly image, but, but, but maybe a telling image is, is, imagine a bowl with a pudding in it. Hungry already. And you just pour on the custard and it just rises and rises until you have no idea almost what the pudding was at the bottom of the bowl. And it rises and it overflows and the custard just keeps on pouring. The grace of God is lavished on us. It just keeps on pouring. We have a generous, recklessly generous God who pours his love upon us, lavishes it upon us. So the first thing I'm wanting really to say is in considering the church, in considering ourselves, right at the beginning, first and foremost, when we think about ourselves, when we think about the church, before we ever think about what we do, or what we're called to do, or what we should do, think and remember what God has done and is doing. I'm a firm believer that kind of all real preaching starts with what God has done for us. Everything else is response. No, this is love, not, oh, thank God that we've loved God. What a puny little thing that would be. Oh, no, this is love that he loved us. And he's lavished that love upon us. This is the beginning of understanding the church that we are the recipients of grace lavished upon us in Christ. The next thing I'm wanting to say about the church, who the church is, what the church is, is uh, the church is being added to. The church is not static. God is adding to his church. Did you know that the church today is bigger than it was yesterday? I can't actually name the additions. I haven't spotted them, but they've been happening. They've been happening. God's been adding to his church. He's doing it today too. Tomorrow, a few more, maybe many more. God adds to his church. It's here in Ephesians. Oh, it's sort of pointed towards. I need to remind myself of the verse. There we go. Yeah. Verse 12. 
We, writes Paul, who were the first to put our hope in Christ. So he's saying, we knew about Christ before you ever did, kind of saying to the Ephesians. But then in the next verse, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. So he's saying, the church is being added to. How is it being added to? Well, it's being added to because of God's grace. But, but when you kind of look at the, the mechanism, the one which is given here is actually quite simple. You were also included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you believed and remarked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So that's saying you heard the message, you believed that Jesus is who he says he is, who that God says he is, and that actually the seal of that is that God comes to dwell in us by his Holy Spirit. God comes to us. We hear, we believe, God seals. And the Holy Spirit is within every Christian and among us now. So God adds. Back in the Second World War, the um, Archbishop of Canterbury was a man named William Temple. And he said various things which are quite quotable, but one of the ones which I just really rather like is he said, um, the church is the only institution which has never lost a member through death. I like that, don't you? Don't you? God's just adding. We've never, ever lost a member through death. And I ended up saying in the first service a sentence which surprised me, which is, you know, um, it's a funny, funny thing that there's more of us who are dead than who are alive. <laughs> but God's still adding. <laughs> the church might rise and fall in particular local places. But actually, cosmically, it is growing and never diminishes by one. None are taken away. God, God is adding and growing his church. Let me remind myself what I was going to say next. Yes, and as we move further through um, Ephesians, we find this future hope that God has blessed us, is blessing us. But there's also this sense of we, we haven't got it all yet. And it's actually there in verse 14, uh, talking about being marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit, God's very presence with us, is a deposit, which is kind of sort of saying, there's more to come. There's more to come. They're saying, it's a deposit 
until the redemption. And it's saying, you know, we've been given this to be redeemed, but there's more to come. And I think that's at least in part an aspect of our our disappointment, if we have disappointment, when God, you know, or when we say, you know, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and what emerged was the church. Part of our disappointment is, is we have not yet seen the glory that is to be revealed. The future in Christ of the person sitting next to you is more glorious than you can imagine. God has not finished with us yet. We're being drawn into glory. There is a future hope as well as a present reality. In verse 18, we find, uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Again, this sense of there's a future to which we are being drawn. And when the Bible, certainly the New Testament, uses the word hope, it's not wishful thinking, oh, I hope that. It is God's certain future that we are being drawn towards. That's kind of what hope means. So there's this future dimension to the church. We receive God's grace, God's adding to his church. And he is drawing us towards a future which is more glorious than we can imagine. And I have to say that in Ephesians 1, as in some of the other passages, particularly when Paul is writing, I always get punch drunk with the truths which are being sort of coming at me. Bam, bam, bam. These different words. You know, sometimes I was just reading out some words about being blessed, being adopted and all the rest. They're huge. And I'm not bothering to unpack them. I'm just saying this word, you know. But So, so you're kind of punch drunk. And, and for decades, I missed something. In verse 18, a few years ago, I, I, I paused and, and read it and studied it a wee bit more carefully. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What's this about this glorious inheritance? Well, hear this, it's not what I thought it was when I was quickly bouncing over. Because after all, I've just been told all the great things that God has done and is doing. And he's just talked in verse 14 about our inheritance. But here he's not talking about our inheritance. He's talking about his inheritance, which is kind of an odd thing. Out of this wonderful work of salvation through Jesus and, and which we're seeing in the church, you know, what does God get out of it at the end of it all? What is this glorious inheritance? It's you and me. The glorious inheritance is God's glorious inheritance when he gets to have us. He confuses me at times. He confuses me. You know, I just, just 
He loves us. He loves us and delights to be with us for eternity. The idea of being with us for eternity kind of makes him jump up and down. And occasionally we join in and say, oh, isn't it good? But he's jumping up and down first. He, he, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He, he lavishes his love and he is thrilled with the idea of having us for his own. He will be our God and we will be his people. You might be getting a feeling why I don't like being called low church. The church. God's be Wow. Just, just, God's just crazy for us. Crazy for us. And then verse 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet. That's Christ's feet. And appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, this is where, if I was punch drunk earlier, this is where I have to say, I, I'm knocked out, I'm on the canvas. Because I'm up here to preach, I'm supposed to at least give you some clues as to what this means. I, I, and there's a sense in which I'm just peering through the mist at the wonders. Just, just pause. Just pause for a moment. This is what he says. He's talking about the church. God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the body of Christ. I can begin to, begin to get that. I'm not saying I fully understand it. I'm saying I'm beginning to get that. Paul was kind enough to sort of write elsewhere at greater length, so I'm beginning to get that. But it says the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, I'm sorry, the circuit boards are boom. The truth, he's talking about us. He's talking about the church and he's saying, describing the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I do not understand this truth. I can peer at it through the mist, but I might not understand it, but I can stand under it and glory in it and say, Lord, enlighten the eyes of my heart that I, I, I might understand this. The wonders of what God thinks and does through the church are just too big for my wee brain. Hmm. And so, are we to understand that the Ephesian Christians, the Ephesian church, to whom Paul was writing these wonderful words, are we to understand that they were so much more wonderful than us so much a better example of church that somehow these things could be said which were true of them but not true of us. Well, I'm just going to 
invite you to flick over a couple of pages. I'm going to read it to you, I mean, so you can follow it if you want. It's uh, in uh, chapter 4. It's just an example. Chapter 4, verses 25 to 28. And this is what he's writing to those Ephesian Christians. In the same letter, he's just been writing all that. He says, therefore, each of you, you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. And anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful, work, do something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So basically, was the Ephesian church just so wonderful that Paul could write these things about them with a straight face? The answer is, well, a wee bit later, what he's saying is, please stop lying, stop stealing, and stop anger ruining your relationships. Well, that might sound a wee bit more like the churches you and I have sometimes known. But even in that passage, he says, be basically saying, be truthful because you are Christ's body. You are one body. Speak the truth to each other because you're one body. It's, it's not that he's forgotten what he said in the intervening page and a half. He's actually rooting it in it, saying, come on. You're the body of Christ. Stop stealing. Stop lying. So, so Paul's not been hoodwinked into thinking the Ephesians are somehow perfect. God's not hoodwinked that you and I are perfect. <laughs> the thought. But we have been hoodwinked or blinded so that the eyes of our heart need to be enlightened to get hold of who we are in Christ. We need those eyes opened up. Well, what flows from this? I want to remind you or tell you for the first time, some of you maybe, about the Jordan River in Israel. The Jordan River flows down the country and ends up in the Dead Sea and never flows out. The sun evaporates the water and the resulting body of water left behind the Dead Sea is toxic to life. Because things flow in and they do not flow out. You might remember that when we were talking, or uh, David was talking about Israel and the call of Abraham, more familiarly known as Abraham, but when he was called, he was told, God told him, I'm going to bless you so that the nations of the world can be blessed. There's a principle set up there in Genesis chapter 12 that God blesses his people so that they can be a blessing to others. And that principle, which is found with Israel, is true for us 
God blesses us. Not that we might become a recipient of God's blessings, never giving out and becoming toxic in the experience, but actually that we should be channels of grace, channels of blessing. Ephesians 1, again, we find, we're told that we're his choice. Verse 4, we're told the mystery of Christ has been made known to us. Verse 9, in verse 10, we find that God speaks, as it were, God's purposes are to bring unity to all things under Christ. He's in the restoration business of that which has been broken. And we find that we've been called for his glory, verse 12. We find that the power which is at work in Christ, raising him from the dead, is at power in, at work in us too, verses uh, 19 and 20. And we're described as his body, Christ's body, verse 23. So, so God is, has chosen us, he's gathered us, he's added us in, he's poured out his blessing on us. He describes us, uh, us as his glorious inheritance. Which... Uh, I think I mentioned, I think shows poor taste for which I'm grateful because I'm included. But he has a purpose in it all to bring glory to himself, to be uniting all things, to work through his church cosmic purposes, cosmic eternal purposes. Cosmic is almost too small. To describe. Because I think it might be because the cosmos only deals with creation. And, and I somehow I think there's something about even, you know, relationship with God himself. So, you know, the creation's not big enough to deal with what God wants to do. Called before creation ever was. To be these channels, to be those who know the resurrection of power, resurrection power of Jesus at work in us, transforming us and changing the world. For we are the body of Christ. He maybe foolishly decides to work through us. He can work and does work outside the church. Don't get me wrong. We don't have a monopoly. But he chooses us and works especially through us. And I've just called it a bit foolish. But the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. It is wonderful good news. We are the church of God. Thanks be to him.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for adding us in, including us in your purposes. Thank you for your amazing grace. Help those of us who have heard and believed and trusted in you to live up to our high calling. Help those who are just beginning to hear and are on a journey towards believing. Lord, I ask that there will be glorious new birth as you add new people in. to your church, your body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.